Welcome, everyone, to episode 15 of the Gulf Coast Poker Podcast. I'm Ben Saxton. I'm here with my co-host, Wild Bill Phillips. Uh, Gene D. will be joining us in a little bit to introduce our guest for this episode, Alec Wilson. But first, uh, Bill and I are going to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the poker world. Uh, I guess we should start uh, with with you, Bill. While I'm uh, sweating down here in, in New Orleans, where, where are you at and what are you up to? I'm in the luxurious MGM National Harbor uh, Resort in Washington, D.C. It's first time up here. It's a beautiful property. We're covering their events, kind of doing some poker reporting. This isn't a GCP event, but it's pretty cool to get up here and get a different vibe, different region, and they really do everything first class. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm day two into it. So Nice. And you're there for, for two weeks, is that right? I'm there for two weeks. And then we got, as we talked about a little bit off camera, a really busy, really busy uh, six weeks for GCP because we go from here, we got Cachada September 14th through the 24th. Then we got uh, Poker Gras, Harris, New Orleans, October 5th through the 15th. And then right after that, Pearl River again for another million Philly, which is the 19th through the 31st. And we have those schedules up on the, on our Facebook page and link. You can see the link from the site to those schedules as well. Yeah, so uh, busy, busy times for sure. Um, glad you're you're making your way around the around not only the the Gulf South but around the country at this point. So um, yeah, yeah. I hope the rest of the uh, the, the trip goes well. Um, so yeah, we 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 talked a little bit about about uh, stuff that's going on, happenings in the poker world. We wanted to start, I guess, just on the macro level with the fact that poker. Poker is booming. Poker is popping off, um, particularly tournaments. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Bill, I, I think you are um, a little bit more tapped in than me just uh, in terms of like being on the ground of some of these tor- these, these tournaments. Um, you know, what have you seen and like what is your sense of, of this? I mean, c- do you think it's fair to call it a boom that's going on? I mean, I think it is a boom. Like, you just look at this week right now. There's WSOP Circuit, I believe, is in Grayton. Uh, I think that's venues in California. You got Texas with big tournaments going on. You got right here, MGM National Harbor in Washington, D.C. You got Jacksonville at Best Bet. I mean, there's all over the country, and and all the numbers seem to be uh, pretty good. I know that. I looked at Run Good release their schedule. It looks like they got some uh, pretty cool dates. Uh, we're, we're adding events. I'm sure MSPT is as well. Um, and of course, you got the Money Maker Poker Tour, which has just started, and they seem to be adding some dates um, and new stops as well. So it's seems like everybody's running a poker tour or doing an event somewhere, and um, there's a demand for it. I'm not sure. What do you think? spark the demand for all this it's hard to say i i know there has been just some discussion about um I, i've heard the term like revenge spending or like revenge purchasing after the yeah. pandemic um you know a big a big story uh, during the pandemic was like yeah a lot of americans 
we're able to to save up and not spend as much. And now we have a little bit more disposable income. And in the gambling context, that just means all right, a few more buy-ins to fire. Um, yeah, so that would sort of be my my knee-jerk response. What about you? That's a good angle, and and thought about it in that perspective. I think uh, Poker Brothers or Poker Bros. I think the apps um, kind of fueled a mini boom. Um, GG Poker and and some of the ways Americans are able to figure out how to play online poker. I think those. Uh, resources have added to it. It definitely seems like there's more people involved in apps or or whatever than there were pre-pandemic. And I think the pandemic sent people to platforms like PokerStars Home Games or Poker Bros. And now we're kind of seeing a result of those people who got their feet wet, maybe coming out to these live venues and trying it. And in Vegas, you know, I saw a lot of young kids, you know, not not a huge amount, but uh, maybe more than what pre-pandemic in the early 20s or whatever, really into poker. And a lot of them kind of had connections to poker bros or to those apps. So um, that's also that's good news, bad news. So it's great news for the poker economy and the industry. But for a lot of the people that have kind of been playing, they, you know, they didn't have to worry. There's this little lag where you didn't have that fresh blood and these new kids um, really getting into theory and, and really, you know, studying and, and bringing new stuff to poker. I think um, that's gone away. There's going to be some new guys uh, in the scene nipping at everybody's heels. So, Yeah, for sure. And I, I think for me, it also raises a question um, about, you know, bankroll management and also like being wise about, about your schedule, because I think, you know, with when there when there weren't so many options, you know, when you had when you went out to Vegas and you you, you had a full month, you could kind of take a take a deep breath and and ha- and, ha- and look forward to some R and R in August and maybe even in September. But that's just not the case now. I mean, it doesn't need to be the case now. There's c- constant tournaments and multiple tournament options around the year, it seems. Um, and so, trying to think about like how to travel smartly and and where to look for good value like that is, I mean, it's always been, it's been a skill, but it seems like even more important at this moment where there are just so many options to, to choose from. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's weird because some of the conversations we've had internally about as we've kind of grown and we have opportunities for stops is we don't want to oversaturate the market. But at the same time, we look back at recent history, our players, who might play our events if they're not playing our events and we're not doing something, they're playing somebody else's. So they already have that option. The market's kind of already saturated in a little bit because they're like you said, there's literally every week uh, an opportunity and, you know, tying into our podcast guest, uh, Alec Wilson, he, I wouldn't call him an app player or anything like that, but he's pretty kind of new to the game and really got involved you know, during the pandemic. And I, I think that's true also not, I shouldn't have limited it to kids. I think that's true of a lot of other players. You know, I think Baton Rouge, um, Brittany, who, who's done very well in our rookies events and now into other events has, uh, is an example of a, a player who's kind of come into the scene more recently and got really involved. She probably played beforehand, but it kind of changed, I think with the pandemic for a lot of people. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and to sort of highlight um, a couple of specifics of, you know, what I think it is fair to call a boom. Um, the Lodge Card Club just broke a, a Texas, they set a Texas state record um, with a 5,750 player poker tournament. This was very recently. Um, so, you know, so we've talked about this in previous episodes. Um, you know, if if we're in a boom nationwide, Texas seems to really be sort of the center, the center of that boom. Um, you know, and then another another stop that has, you know, it's been kind of the um the gem on the on the circuit schedule for a couple of years now is uh is Cherokee. So uh man, Preston McEwen really just just uh putting on a clinic up there, it seems. Final table, not one, not two, but three events. So he finished uh seventh in a four hundred uh $400 event for 19 K then he finished sixth in the monster stack for 23 K. And then he, the cherry on top was final tabling the main uh, for in third place for 175 K. Mm -hmm. So we, we just wanted to kind of shout that out because um, you know, we, we, one of the things that makes it, just just tougher to navigate these huge fields and Preston just consistently navigating these these huge fields and um really putting putting a show on up there so if, if you were to pick you know I, I always like think about this if if only you could pick the tournaments that you run good play good whatever i think if you went to cherokee was that the opener the first one in that 400 one it was uh event no it said ring event number two so i guess it would have been the one right after the, the big re-entry no but i think based on the prize pool I, they must have had like a small one before it because what do you finish six for like 20k that's yeah it must have re-entry. been it must have been the re-entry because there's because yeah. he finished uh I, I see what you're getting at he finished yeah. the one that he finished uh uh the first one had 2600 entrance so that yeah. must have been the that must have been the big reentry. So yeah, if you're gonna pick any three, the reentry, the monster, and then the the main. Amazing. That's <laughs> uh, just right? yeah. Wow. That yeah. must be nice. Good for him. And and I'm certainly not saying he just ran good in those. I mean, everybody that plays tournaments know you do have to have a little bit of run good, but uh, you know, he's just been crushing it and playing great to to do that. That's amazing. Um yeah, for sure. Um yeah. Any, anything else you wanted to talk about uh, in reference to, you know, to the to poker booming um, before we turn to we had one other one other story we want to talk about? Uh, well, I did want to mention um, in, in relation to Preston, he's got to be one of the front runners. We got the GCP awards coming up that will be at Poker Gras, and it's going to be hard for people to knock Preston off that top spot. I don't want to give any spoilers or anything, but I think he's definitely a favorite. And a lot of other awards might still be up in the air, you know? So um, players that have had good years, and if they, if they care about the awards, they might want to try and uh, go get some more tournaments under their belt and give them that little bit of extra edge because we've had a lot of good nominations, and I hope to get those out soon. Um, still waiting on some folks in different part of the country um, or the region, I should say, um, before we release it. But yeah, it's going to come down on the wire for some. I don't know about Preston's uh, categories coming down on the wire, but uh, for the others, I think it's up in the air. 
Yeah, no, it's going to be going to be uh, interesting to see. Um, looking forward to yeah to seeing a lot. A lot of people uh, are very deserving of recognition, so we're looking forward to to that as well. Um, so yeah, there was a uh, in a piece that came out in Wired magazine that we wanted to highlight um, that had to do with some findings of uh, some security researchers, and I, I think the place to start with this story is with the uh, the now legendary, now notorious hand between Garrett Adelstein and Robbie Jade Lou, where Robbie uh, made an, you know, incredible soul read, or perhaps uh, a not so incredible soul read. Perhaps she was cheating with, with the Jack four offsuit hand. So, um, you know, I think most folks know know about that hand. It was it was discussed, and there's lots of speculation, lots of conspiracy theories. Um, three months after the hand happened, Hustler Casino Live, they published a they published their findings of an internal investigation. They found no credible evidence of foul play, and one of the things they highlighted was um, that the that the the shuffler uh, the, the the deckmate shuffler they, they wrote that the the machine is secure and cannot be compromised so that line got the attention of a couple of security researchers and they basically took that as a challenge to see if in fact the deckmate shuffling machine could be compromised and what they found was that the most modern shuffler known as the deckmate two uh, if basically if you if you're if you have a USB um, drive and you can you can you can insert it into an open USB, you're able to sort of take control of um, take control of the device and and ha and and learn the entire order of the deck in real time. So um, this this story, which we'll link to in the show notes. Um, you know, once again, gets to this sort of cat and mouse game of like, like enforcing game integrity um, and the potential for cheating. You know, we've talked about this both in the online context and now in, in the live context. And, you know, when this story came out, it really, um, yeah, really sent some, some ripple waves across the community. And, uh, so we wanted to kind of shout it out here. I mean, Bill, do you have any any general general thoughts about the findings and maybe the implications for um, for live poker? So, uh, I got I do have some thoughts. It, it's interesting because I heard a long time ago, and you know, a long time being years, but not decades or anything like that. That the shuffle masters at the WSOP specifically had cameras in them. They could organize the deck the way they wanted to, to count the deck, to make sure it was there. They could do some things. Um, but I remember that. I was like, okay, so they're taking pictures. So the camera basically knows where every card in the deck is, right? And I believe the hack is that camera, people have figured out a way to access that camera to know who's got, who's going to have the best hand at the end of it because it knows the order of the cards. And how many times when we played at Harris New Orleans, have you been near uh, a deck master or shuffle master or what, whatever the device is called, where it's maybe disconnected from the power? And then a, a member of the staff has to come in and connect it and it's down there. And if you've ever looked under the table, you see stuff like USB or little plugs. And in my head, I was always like, man, I wonder 
if somebody got wise to that, how easy would it be to just kind of like tie your shoe or look for a lost chip or something and connect to that? And I didn't know that it was as vulnerable as it is. And that would be, it would sound like it'd be a pretty easy thing for somebody to do if they have the right device. And the, the benefit too is you think about it, uh, surveillance is limited to the table, above the table, right? So there's nothing that's one of the most protected areas in the casino. If you're down there fitting like that, it'd be pretty easy to access. So that's weird to me. I, there was a player on the coast who years ago um, hated the shuffle masters, thought that they were rigged. Uh, there's a famous story about him taking a card home with him and maybe getting in trouble with the casino for stealing the card from it. Cause he was so positive, but he thought the cards maybe had an RFD in them. But I think at the time, that shuffle master, I'm not saying his conspiracy theory is accurate, but, you know, potentially somebody could have hacked it or whatever. Like there was, there was vulnerabilities to it. Uh, he was on the wrong path maybe with the way they were doing it. But um, sounds like it's possible, you know, I'm not saying it was done that way or, or people are doing that, but it seems uh, very disturbing that that is possible and it's not that hard to do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost comical. Um, you know, the lengths that, that, um, casinos and security will, will go to, to ensure the integrity of games on the one hand. And then on the other hand, like you just have this, like, this, like USB drive, you can just, you can just plug your USB B drive. If you just sort of like drop something underneath the table, right. it's almost like comically easy to access. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's obviously good that this story came out. I, you know, I and and I know a lot of others are, are pretty pessimistic about about game integrity in the online context. You know, things like collusion and botting and um, you know, real time solvers and all and all these things. So you know, I believe that the future of poker is the future of live poker. And so it's, it's going to be really important to think about all the ways that cheaters are going to try to, um, yeah, to leverage technology to, to, right. to find ways to cheat. Um, you, you know, that's interesting is I don't know the, how common mechanics are or dealers that can manipulate the cards, what kind of security measures casinos have to keep those kind of players from being on staff. But you used to look at like an automatic shuffler and go, well, okay, that prevents that kind of stuff going on. So like you're protected from that one bad apple that might happen to be sitting at a table with his partner. But now that if those are vulnerable, do they go back to like the dealers? Do you have to worry about that kind of stuff? I don't know. It, it seems like there's always going to be somebody figuring out some way in that cat and mouse, as you mentioned, to, to be a step ahead. Um, yeah, and also a reminder of you know how the how cheating has kind of been threaded through the history of poker since it started. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you no matter how how far back you go, so this is just sort of yet another um, you know yet another thread, and I, it's not gonna it's not gonna stop. But it's 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 important to, for the community to find ways to uh, have conversations about regulation, and um, you know it's just sort of unfortunate that you need these this sort of the way the story is written, it's almost like this security researcher just sort of happened upon the statement by Hustle Casino Live. It's like, all right, let's, let's take a look into this instead of like Hustle Casino Live actually 
doing right. due diligence. And, and again, like, I don't, it's not like I'm privy to what, um, what hustler casino live is, is, is doing in their, in their, you know, in their operations. But, um, the implication of the article is at least is that they did not do due diligence. So yeah, yeah we'd encourage people to just check out the, check out the article. Um, it's definitely worth a read. So thanks Bill for, for chatting. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're back to the live reporting streets today. Yes. I'll be, I'm working. Don Dub came up here and is helping out with it and he's covering the late night shifts uh, we'll both be doing heavy coverage on some of the bigger events and, and I'm doing a lot of the, the day shift. So yeah, I'm actually going to go back down and, and put some updates up there. So. All right. Well tell Don, I said, hi, good luck with the, uh, the live, live reporting grind. And we are going to take a, a quick break. We'll come back and Gene is going to introduce our guest, Alec Wilson. Okay, we're going to introduce our next guest uh, from Pensacola, Florida, Alec Wilson. Uh, he's a longtime GCP supporter. Uh, he's a 2023 Monkeys Minion. Uh, he's got just south of 130K in Hendon Mob. Uh, final table, the Million Philly main event a few weeks ago, getting seven for a little more than 12K. Alec, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Good deal. Well, we're going to start off with the first question that we ask all our guests is tell us how you wind up in this poker subculture and, and the, 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 the game that we all love. Well, I, I first uh, came across it uh, just like so many people during the boom, the moneymaker boom. Uh, that's when I was first introduced and uh, kind of fell in love with the game then. Uh that was what twenty years ago now, uh, and we would just play little home tournaments, single table, like ten, twenty dollar buy in, winner take all type deals, and uh, <clears throat> I think I was too young to go to a casino then. I think I was twenty years old when that happened, and uh, and then so once I was able to legally go to a casino, uh, Horseshoe Tunica was the first place I ever played, and I'd play cash games there from time to time, and uh you know i always had these dreams of being a professional player but back then you know i was young and and had no real path or idea on like how to make that happen it was it was kind of just like a pipe dream something that i thought would be really cool but but never really saw a path to do it or anything and and then over the next you know 20 years or so i just played recreationally here and there uh home games from time to time and would you know, go gamble it up at the casino every once in a while, not having no real strategy or anything. Um, then, uh, let's see, in the winter of 19, I randomly went and played the uh, winter poker open at Horseshoe Tunica. Uh, and I ran pretty deep in that and had like, a, I think, a twelve or $1,500 score. And that was, to me at that time, was just like amazing. And uh and it kind of reignited my love for the game. And, and so I started playing a lot more often after that. And uh, 
And then I quickly learned, well, you know, if, if I want to succeed in this game, I'm going to have to, you know, learn to get better and, and things like that. And, and so that's when I really started like focusing on getting better at the game and, and, uh, and trying to beat it. So you have a, a really interesting story about what you're doing as a, uh, I guess, late teenager and kind of the way your life took a, a drastic change. I, I heard it for the first time this summer. Um, would you be willing to share some of those details? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, uh, not a lot of people know, but um, it's no secret or anything. So, uh, you know, in high school uh, and shortly thereafter, I'd gotten into the uh, some drugs and alcohol and uh, I'd been selling uh, marijuana. It kind of snowballed into larger and larger amounts. And I kind of got in over my head. And uh, when I was uh, 20 years old, uh, I had made a deal with some people I didn't know very well. And they ended up robbing me and uh, sh shooting me in the back three times. Uh, wow. And so How I was, close uh, were you to, to death on that one? I, th I think I was pretty close. Uh, I, I was kind of in an isolated area and I laid on the ground uh, bleeding out for a while and uh someone heard me screaming and came over and called the ambulance and so uh you know had that person not heard me i probably had a late, uh, bled to death wow uh, but yeah so that that kind of yeah changed my life uh pretty big i was uh partially paralyzed one of the bullets uh nicked my spinal cord at the bottom and uh so yeah yeah that was a, a big life changer there what were the th thoughts going through your head? Um, I mean, I guess even during it or, or shortly after it, I, I couldn't imagine how that would feel and what I'd be thinking about. Do you uh, remember? You know, in the moment, no, I, I don't remember any any thoughts in the moment. It was all, it happened so fast and adrenaline was flowing. And uh, I, I do remember on the ambulance ride to the hospital, then I started thinking like, wow, this is pretty serious and I could die. Yeah. yeah. And, and afterwards, after, uh, I guess you had rehab and, and, and that kind of stuff, uh, for the, your injuries. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I spent a couple of months, uh, uh, well, a couple of weeks in the med there in Memphis, Tennessee. And then they sent me to a spinal cord rehabilitation center in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was there for two months. And, uh, and the whole purpose of that was just to try to get, get you used to, you know, this new life with a spinal cord injury. And at the time I had no movement or feeling below the waist and I was in a wheelchair. Uh, but my injury was what they call incomplete. Uh, so that means like with a complete spinal cord injury, the damage is done there's no recovery with an incomplete injury. There's the possibility of recovery, um, but there's no like timeline or, or way to tell like how much your recovery will be. So like I said, at first I couldn't move or feel anything below the waist. And then over the coming months and years, I, I slowly began to get some movement and feeling back in my legs. Uh, my left leg came first and then my right leg, um, uh, but it, but it still wasn't great. And I kind of had fallen into this depression and I started drinking more and more. Um, 
And so I didn't really get after my physical therapy the way I should. And, uh, and also kind of had this like shame or embarrassment, uh, around like trying to walk, uh, even though like I started getting movement and feeling in my legs and I could kind of get up on my feet a little bit with leg braces and, a uh, and a walker or a crutches. Uh, it was like really hard and shaky and, and I was embarrassed to let anybody see me do it. So I, I didn't really ever do it. And, uh, the wheelchair was easy. So, uh, so that's what I did for like the next 16 years. And, uh, once what I was changed? able to, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Years later. I said, what changed 16 years later? What, um... well, uh, I got, t I got tired of the drinking and, uh, and uh and so i decided to make a change there and uh and got sober and once i did that uh kind of all that shame and embarrassment just went away and uh you know for 16 years i told myself that i'd never be able to take more than like a couple of wobbly steps so i didn't really see any point in, in trying to do more than that and uh but once i quit drinking and and i got over like the mental hang up of it uh, and I got up out of my chair and started, uh, using, uh, some crutches and my leg braces. And I quickly found like that my strength and, and, uh, balance and mobility improved way faster than I ever thought. And I quickly, uh, went from two, cr two forearm crutches to using two canes. And then I, uh, went to one cane and, uh, that's what I currently use. But, uh, it all just happened way faster than I ever imagined. Like, uh, I, I just couldn't even believe it really. And so. Dang, man, that's a, well, that's a miracle that you, where you're at right now, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I get up and thank God every day, uh, that I was able to quit drinking and, and, and improve my life in that manner. Good deal. So where was your, what was your first big score? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, what do we consider big? <laughs> well, um, I see you, uh, final table, the high roller, the one that Jamie won. Um, yeah, yeah. That looks, that looks like a pretty brutal final table. Um, you know, Donna yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. Uh, I, I kind of got lucky to, to ladder up to where I did in that one. Um, but my, my first real big score was actually online. Um, I didn't have. I was kind of getting to a tough point in poker where, you know, variants hadn't been on my side much and, and I was starting to doubt myself and stuff. And, uh, then I, uh, hit a big one on ACR. Uh, it was a, it was only a $55 tournament, but there was 9,000 something runners and I, and I shipped it for 77 K. Wow. So that was like my, that was my first real big one. Uh, and then my first live big one was, uh, I got third place in the opener event last September in Philly with a million Philly uh, for almost 40. Yeah, I saw your your three biggest live caches are all at the million Philly. It seems like. Yeah, you, yeah. I've done better there well than there. anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you said my Hendon was close to 130 and I think like 88 of it is at Philly. So. You like you like the player pool or or what what appeals to you about that stop? Um, um or... yeah, I think it's a a good player pool and 
And also I've just put in more volume there than anywhere because it's nearby and we all run it uh, three to four times a year. And, uh, and I, and I usually come for the whole stop and play every event. And... Hi, Daddy. <laughs> Who's that Hi. in the background? Oh, that's Cooper. He, uh, I think you weren't on yet, but my neighbor was going to watch him today and then uh, something came up and couldn't. So hi. Oh, he's wanting Hello. to say hi. Uh, here. <laughs> So tell us about your family then, Alec. That's a good uh, point of entry for that. Yeah, uh, this is Cooper. He's my youngest son. I've got them all over the board. My uh, oldest daughter is 19. Um, my middle daughter is 11 and Cooper's two. Wow. So kind of, kind of got them all over the board there and, Hi. I guess uh, I'm just gonna raise kids my entire life. <laughs> Makes sense. Hockey. You uh, you moved from Memphis to Pensacola. Um, what was the the reason behind the move? Uh, we've just been wanting to get out of Memphis for a long time. Uh, the crime there's really bad. Uh, schools aren't good. Um, so we've been wanting to get out of there for a long time, and we love the warmer weather. We love the water and the beach. Hockey. How is um, the poker in Pensacola? Uh, so there, it's not a ton of of players, but the action's good, and, and there's a game going almost all the time, uh, and that's pretty much where I'm earning a living is in the cash games here. But Do you uh, play Big O? I think Big O is really big in Pensacola, or at least so it used it, to be. It, it used to be. I hear stories about it all the time, uh, and – They'll they'll spread a game every once in a while now. Uh, I don't play it, but uh, but it's not uh, what it used to be, from what I hear. Okay, are you, are you the dog track, the Pensacola dog track? Is that the only option in Pensacola? It is. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I, uh, I, know, I know that Ebro oh, is not too far. Do you, yeah, Ebro is about an hour and a half uh, down ten uh, from here. I've gone there a handful of times. Uh, I think there's more action there and probably better games, but it it's kind of hard to drive an hour and a half when there's a, a room 10 minutes from the house. So, <laughs> Sure, yeah. So maybe could, could you talk a little bit about how you construct your weekly schedule? You know, you, you got a family, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you committed to being more serious about the game. So uh, what's your balance in terms of like cash versus tournaments and, and your game plan for – um, yeah, so um, travel a bit as well. So, like tournaments is what I really love, but uh, as everyone knows, like the variance in tournaments is is so much higher than uh, in cash games, and so um, trying to do that just all the time, it's probably probably not the best for me. So, one one piece of advice I heard uh, when I first started like studying and trying to get better, I think it was Jonathan Little that said like find a game you can beat and play it a ton. And so, like, that's really what I've been trying to stick to because, you know, I would I would go through these spells where I would be, like, trying to grind tournaments online when there's, like, a game 10 minutes from my house that I can beat. So, like, uh, so I decided to refocus most of my time on that, like, when I'm at home. Uh, and so I, I'll probably up there between 40 and 60 hours a week when I'm at home, and then I'll probably – go on the road for tournaments about 10 days a month. Uh, so usually look something like uh, I wake up and spend a little, 
uh, family time in the mornings, uh, attend to whatever little business things I need to. Then I'll uh, go play the cash game for four or five hours. Then I'll come home, uh, have a little more family time and dinner. And then uh, if, the, if there's some games going and uh, action up there, I'll get back up there for the late night. So you, you mentioned you do some business too. Um, you balance being a, a poker player with some side side hustles, I guess, or tell us well, a little bit about I that. I actually just just sold my business, so n- not as much as, as before. I had a uh, a t shirt uh, and printing business, uh, which is what I did for many years. Uh, but I recently just sold that, and and I'm kind of all in, so to speak, on, on poker at the moment. Oh, so you don't want me to plug how good a job you did on our two schedules uh, today? No, no, I, I, I'll, I'll be happy to uh, take on little side projects here and there. Uh, okay. So, yeah, the, really uh, the business I had was uh, run out of Memphis, and uh, I used to have my own shop there. And uh, when we moved here, I closed the shop down and and just outsourced everything. And so I kept all my customers and clients and and uh would take their orders and just had another shop doing all the work for me um or not all the work but all the printing and uh you know i had i had a a friend of mine that was interested in taking it over and buying it and uh and so decided to go ahead and make that make that uh jump was that painful uh i mean i know me and gene Uh, yeah it it, kind of is uh it, it wasn't uh, an easy decision. And so like now, uh, like we're still in the transition phase. And so like I still have access to the emails and and stuff. And so, uh, you know, I kind of kind of miss it when I see other people like running something that I built for uh, like 13 years. And so, but but I'm happy for them and, and I'm kind of happy to be freed up from some, so. Yeah, I was going to say me and Gene, uh, or I assume Gene feels the same way. It's kind of like a, another kid when you when you have a business that you've built. And, and I would imagine um, uh, losing it or parting with it would be, would be, you know, bittersweet. Yeah, it's a little tough. Uh, yeah, bittersweet's a good word. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, but I did like the other day, uh, was scrolling through Facebook and I saw that my old business page had made a, a, a post and and so like to scroll through it and like see a post from my old page as a outsider looking in was kind of, kind of weird, but. Gene, it sounded like you had a question earlier. Um, so tell me about uh, more about your online play. Uh, did you play on Focus stars and all that stuff back in the day since uh, uh you said, yeah so I, I didn't a ton uh like honestly like i would just like sit around and drink and, and goof around on there uh I, I don't think i ever did poker stars i did uh hotel yeah i was on there some and i think there was even a site back then called just pokerroom.com i think um and so never anything serious, just uh clicking buttons. <laughs> never won anything uh back in the back in the day. And then uh, you know, once I started taking poker seriously again, I decided to get online uh 
just for experience, because uh, you can get so many more hands in in a short amount of time. Uh, and so, you know, I got the whole setup to play online and multi-table and tracking software and all that and, and got acclimated to using all that. But I, I just I have no desire to sit in front of a desk and, and play online poker. So, um, like, I kind of got into it for a while because I felt it was necessary. Uh, and I and I still play every once in a while on there, but uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me as far as like like it's not entertaining to me. I, I don't necessarily enjoy it. So I, I guess part of what I love about poker is like the live uh, the, the live aspect of it, the interaction with the players, yeah, and yeah. new people and that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, of course my uh, day job uh, is and telecom fiber sales and the biggest deal that I've ever sold in my career I actually met the person I yeah um you know the yeah just the networking and the social is huge you know I've met so many cool and great people through this game uh and you know that's another thing that I love about it is uh all the years that you know I was drinking and drugging and stuff like that like You know, I, I never met, I don't want to say quality people, but just like some of the friends and people I've met in this game, it, it just seems uh, more genuine. And uh, I, I'm not sure how to say what I'm trying to say here, but. <laughs> no, I, th I think I understand where you're going in the, I think we're also lucky and Correct me if, if your experience is different, but I think this region, we just kind of have a a good group of people that come in and out of poker, and um, it seems to be a lot more of a, a community here than maybe some other places, and uh, there are some great people that we've all met through poker and, um, you know, improved our lives by knowing them. Now, kind of segueing on that, I know that uh, you have a relationship with with Preston McEwen, um, you guys exchange hands and and work together on poker or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Preston's a, a really good guy, really cool. Uh, early on, when I got into poker uh, and I came across him, you know, I knew he was a a, a nice guy and a great player and and uh, a good friend to to have in this community. And so um, I've done coaching with him, uh, which is valuable. And, uh, and yeah, he's, uh, if, uh, if you want to call it that, I would say he's my mentor, uh, really look up to him in the game. And, uh, he always gives me advice and, uh, and texts me encouraging stuff. Uh, just the other day when I was at that final table, uh, you know, just unsolicited, he sent me a text uh, of encouragement and, and that's kind of the things I was talking about before, uh, you know, uh, None of my drinking or drug buddies ever did that. <laughs> Sent me encouraging texts just out of the blue. Anybody, any of the other crew that uh, you uh, have the same kind of relationship? I think I saw you and Levi talking one time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I talked with Levi some. Uh, he's, he's a great player. And uh, we're not incredibly close. But whenever, uh, you know, we talk from time to time during stops and talk through hands and uh, – Uh, Gavin Monroe is another buddy of mine uh, that I've gotten to know 
a good player, and and we talk uh, from time to time about poker and stuff. What were some of the nuggets that maybe you've learned from Preston, or or what's some of the the best kind of mindset or poker advice he he's given you? Um, ooh, let's see, let's see. Can't give too much away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want him to get mad. You know, he charges for coaching, so I don't. <laughs> and so it's more um, technical. That, that yeah, yeah, it's just a just a little bit of everything. Uh, sorry, you kind of put me on the spot. I really can't think of anything off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, um, just little tidbits here and there, and uh, you know, because I've done a, a ton of studying about like uh, the theory of the game and and all the technical stuff, but a lot of the stuff you just have to learn by getting to the streets and and playing hands and. Uh, and so people that have more of that experience, you know, can kind of guide you a little bit quicker than just trying to figure it out on your own. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Do you think you have a similar style to him or is do you have to um, adjust uh, like your style in relation to the kind of the advice that he's giving? Um, I, I don't know about similar style. I think everybody has their own. Um, um, I'm probably a little bit tighter than a lot of players, but if I had to guess, but, um, yeah, that's kind of what I, I was getting to because it's my perception, you know, observing a lot of these tables that we've covered or whatever and i've seen you play quite a bit i've seen Preston play quite a bit it seems like as an observer you know i you never really know because you don't see the hands or anything like that but it seems like you played a little bit tighter and Preston's maybe a little more wide open and i was wondering when um your coach has or your mentor has kind of a slightly different style if that sometimes makes it harder or easier when uh you guys are running through hands well I I think I think your styles need to be ever changing depending on your situations. Uh, and so I, I don't think anybody should go in to any event or any table and say, this is the style I'm going to play. Uh, I, th I think the majority of the money to be made in this game is uh, or in the low to mid stakes anyway, is is going to be adapting to what you got right in front of you. Uh and and that could be hand by hand, table by table, event by event, uh, um, because you might play one strategy or one style against player A, and then player B at the same table, you might need to switch it up against. And so uh, that's what we're constantly doing is just trying to figure out which opponents are making which mistakes and then how to uh, maximally exploit that. Interesting. So, you know, for instance, if uh, the guy in the big blind uh, folds too much, well, then, you know, you can wi widen your opening from the button uh, and vice versa, you know. So you just kind of kind of go by each player, each situation. Good deal, man. Hey, um, 
I, I don't know if this is true or not, but there was something said about the the, the curls. Did you do your hair for uh, something? Uh, What's the story? Yeah, so, so I, I, yeah, I do not have curly hair naturally. Uh, <laughs> I'd been joking with my wife and uh, for a couple of years that I wanted to get a perm, and you know, just halfway joking and never really like gonna do it. But then. I don't know what made me to decide to actually do it, but one day we she permed it. She's a hairstylist, and so she she permed it up for me, and and then I kind of liked it. So I've just kind of been rolling with that ever since. <laughs> Good deal. I, I thought it was something like you did it for the main event or something like that. I don't know where I heard something like that. No, no, uh, it, it was just random, and uh, and like I said, after we did it, I, I wasn't knowing what to expect, but. Uh, I kind of liked it. Uh, it was, you know, something different than I've ever had. So, did you have a good result with it? Did, is that why you? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so um, when I did it was right before my first event. After uh, you know, I had to take a couple months off after I broke my leg back in January, and uh, and so I didn't travel or go any live events for I think it was around two months, and the. Uh, First thing I was going to play after that, after I healed up some, uh, was the run good stop in Tunica. And uh, and so I put the perm in right before that, and I go there and got uh, uh, shipped the first event I played. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, everybody was making jokes. They're saying, well, you know the perm has to stay now. And <laughs> uh, Good deal. Well, um <clears throat> Obviously, um, Bill and I have uh, been a minion uh, in the past. Bill has uh, been successful being a minion. Uh, I know this was your, you know, a shot for you into the the show. You know, the, the big main event. Tell us about that experience, getting to play in that. Uh, 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 man, I'll tell you. In the world. Yeah, it, it was it was an amazing experience. I was uh, really uh, glad and happy to get to do that. Uh, like I said, twenty years ago, when you know, uh, when I first loved poker and saw MoneyMaker win the main event, like that—that's the dream, right? That's everybody's dream is to play that tournament and uh, and possibly win it or uh, get some life-changing money. Uh, so I've always wanted to play that event, and and since I started taking poker more seriously and, and trying to level up and, and things like that. I was really, really wanting to play it. And so uh, getting that opportunity was a uh, very cool. So uh, such a good tournament. Uh, Any big hands you can tell? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Give me one second here. I actually got some in my notes. At, uh... Sorry, y'all. My son's nagging at me. Come on, bud. Uh, early on in day one, I had uh, I had flopped. Uh, I think it was top set of tens, uh, and and I got quite a bit of chips in his hand, and it kind of let me get through day two because I got nothing going in day two. Give me one second, and I got the I got the sure. hand history in my notes app here.
So, Gene, maybe you can fill the listeners in on what exactly the Minions are. Well, the Minions are a uh, group of uh, uh, investors that have all come together over the years to invest in certain poker players. Um, we start gathering uh, money at, at the beginning of the World Series, and for every 10000 that's invested, we put a player into the main event. Um, it, we try to put players in that are, you know, everyday people who are, they're all solid poker players, but um, we try to put players in that, you know, might not have the resources or the, the backing uh, to get into the main event. Um, normally, uh, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, but the split is uh, 65-35 to the player, or 35 to the player, 65 to the investment group. Yeah, 35 to the player, 65 to the investment group. And the investment group gets the uh, the buy-in back first if a player cashes. And we we got to mention Will Souther, uh, the poker monk, monkey who created the minions. Uh, uh, years ago, he wasn't allowed to play in the main event. And I guess to kind of give him some sweat and some interest, uh, he used his resources to put some other players into the tournament. And it's kind of grown from there. And I, I'm not even sure how many times, how many additions of the minions we've had, but um, it's been quite a few. And also, I'm going to plug something that we just put up on the website uh, for the win. Um, their 10,400 World Championship WPT tournament in December. We're going to do basically copy the format of the Minions and create a Team GCP. So players can apply to be on the team and um, people who are interested in buying sweats or pieces of players can uh, contact us and they can buy it's 200 bucks a share and we'll go try and put in as many players as we can um and we're not gonna we don't profit anything off it there's no rake there's no juice as gcp we will buy shares as well and so as long as the players do well uh we do well um and so that's in december if you're interested in being a player investor contact us uh alec do you, you get a chance to get your notes yeah, yeah. So uh, this was uh, fairly early in day one. The blinds were 100 to 200. So I guess that's level two. Um, and I get pocket tens. Uh, the suits don't matter in this situation. Uh, under the gun opens to 600. Uh, and I'm in the low jack. Uh, I'm going to three bet this a lot. But uh, in this tournament, Early on against the early position raise, I, I think I just like to flat here. Uh, and then the hijack flats behind me and the big blind uh, defends. Uh, so we're going four ways. Uh, and the flop is 10, 7, 2, rainbow. Uh, so we just got a hammer lock on this hand, really. Um, and the original under the gun opener, uh, he C-bets 800. And I raised to 2,000. Um, and then everyone else folds. And then he re-raises to 6,000. And so I'm just uh, like a kid on Christmas here. Uh, and so uh, 
just in case he's got some bluffs here, I don't want to chase him out of the pot, so I can just call. Uh, there's really no draws or anything uh, to speak of that he should have. Uh, and so the turn is the three of diamonds. Uh, we still got the nuts. He bets 5,000. And so now I'm I'm thinking, all right, like uh, I've got to structure the betting here to where we can get all the chips in. Uh, and so uh, <clears throat> we were at like a 60K effective stack, uh, I think, which was the starting stack. So anyway, I raised to 16,000 and he calls. Uh, you know, I was... I was kind of hoping he'd jam on me there, but he didn't. Uh, and then on the river, he he checks. And so, like, at, at my first in instinct was to put them all in. The pot was certainly big enough to do it. But, uh, and this is where I was kind of proud of this hand, is I realized players are going to value their tournament life in this specific tournament way more than than they would almost any other event. And so I, I see a lot of people making big hero folds. And so rather than putting them all in, uh, I just made a 20K bet. And that left him with like 20 big blinds behind because I figured if I put them all in, he might make a snug fold, uh, even with a really strong hand. Uh, but if I leave him 20 big blinds, I, you know, he can make the call and then still have some playability. Uh, so anyway, he goes in the tank forever, and I'm thinking he's considering folding a smaller set, but he ends up paying it off, and he has aces. So anyway, I I really think that had I put them all in there on the river, I think he would have busted. It. So so I was kind of happy with that that bet on the river to get most value. That's a nice value bet right there. And so that hand kind of propelled you uh, through your card deadness of day two. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have any other like big hands to speak of on day one. Uh, you know, one of a few other small pots. But then uh, day two, I literally just folded almost the entire day. I won a couple of pots towards the end. To uh, I think I finished day two with right around where I started. But I had chipped all the way down. I had lost half my stack just blinding down the whole day. Uh, so anyway, that was a nice cushion to win on day one to to kind of help me get through the day two how long did you uh you last on day three remind me again it was about halfway through uh halfway. i don't remember exactly which level it was but if i recall right it was about halfway through the day so not quite close enough to start feeling that kind of excitement or apprehension knowing that the money's not too far away or, or right were you right. feeling that a little bit uh, I mean, I, I realized that I think people had told me that normally uh, we get in the money at the end of day three, but I, I knew it was going to be day four, most likely, since there were so many more players in this one. Um, so that that was kind of kind of my goal is, all right, we, we need to get through the day. Uh, but then then we, you know, played a hand that, you know, we're just never going to never going to get away from. You got cooler on your last hand? Yeah, yeah. I flopped, uh, again, a top set of tens, and I uh, get in against pocket queens, and then he pulls a queen right on the turn. Wow. Uh, <laughs> dang. That's... Yeah, so it was a three-bet pot. I had opened uh, 
I had opened early position. The guy right to my left three bet me, and then I called um, flop top seven tens, and I check raised the guy, and uh, he goes all in, and you know we call, and uh, and uh, they, they waste no time putting the queen out there. <laughs> How does that feeling rate? Uh, in your lifetime of, of poker, was it the worst feeling you've had at a poker table, or you've had? Uh, worse actually, no, it wasn't the worst. Uh, it, yeah, oddly enough, you would think it'd be the worst, but it, it wasn't because, and that's has a lot to do with like mindset. Like some of the worst, like feelings I've had at the poker table or after an event were like early on when I didn't know how to like mental, mentally handle variance. Um, and so like this one, it stung a little bit and, and I was disappointed and I was upset, uh, but, but not overly so. Um, and like that, that's another, I guess, piece of advice I, I would share with like anybody getting into this game is to really seek out things to improve your mindset and how to deal with the swings and stuff. Cause that's that's almost more valuable than than any strategy you can learn because uh, it's a tough game uh, mentally. And so being prepared to deal with, with that stuff is, uh, is extremely valuable. Could you, could you, what are some I'm mean, sorry, go ahead, ben. strategies that, that you'd be comfortable sharing that, that have helped you in that area, like the mental game? Um, so, uh, like mindfulness, just trying to be present in, in each moment uh, is big. And, and you can do this by like, uh, by like concentrated breathing and just like pay, paying attention to your breath. Um, and uh, sorry, my mind just went blank here. Um, a couple other things that have really helped me is just, is not worrying about results and just worry about decisions. And, and so like the results are going to be what they are, whether you do something right or wrong. Um, so you just need to focus on making the best decision you can in the moment. And, uh, cause you can't control the results. All you can control is the decisions you make. Can you elaborate a little bit on mind, mindfulness? I, I've heard Tommy Angelo talk about meditating and, and meditating at the table. And, and is, is that similar? Is that the same thing as mindfulness? Yeah, or? yeah. So, yeah, I think it's basically just trying to live in the moment and, and not be thinking too far, not about the past or thinking ahead, just, just living in the moment. Um, and so, like I said, uh, like concentrating on your on your breathing helps do that. Uh, some people do like little taps, uh, like synchronized taps on your knee or on your leg or something. That can, that can help so that so like if you have a bad you 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 get sucked out on or or you might maybe make a mistake or something, rather than dwell on that, this is a technique that allows you to clear your head and and play well in subsequent hands right right because yeah like if you want to jot that down that hand down so you can review it later do that but then you just need to be focused on the next moment the next hand the next task uh, yeah. 
I mean, I think that's a, a great skill to have because how many of us have played in a poker tournament or a cash game, maybe lose a big pot. You see the chips that used to be in front of you, in front of the guy across the table from you, and you're just focusing on, well, that stack should have been mine, even though it shouldn't have been. Yeah, anybody, yeah. Right? And, yeah and, it, and, and we're all human. So we, like, we all have these thoughts and feelings and emotions, and it's normal and it's natural. Uh, but like, I think a good step is like realizing that and realizing like these negative thoughts and feelings don't serve you at all. Uh, they actually just work against you, uh, and make you make poor decisions. So, uh, did any of that kind of mindset, uh, tie into you kind of, you know, that, that, that big change you had in your life when you started to to try and walk and, and you quit drinking and all that was, was that something that came later or did that? Yeah, no, out? that came, uh, that came through poker and much later. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's something I still work on, you know, like I said, uh, we're all human and no one's above, uh, uh, negative emotions or thoughts or, or feelings. Uh, so it, it's just, uh, once you become, I think aware of it, then you can, then you can better deal with it, I guess. Um, and so, you know, some people might play this game for 20, 30 years and, and never even have a thought about, uh, um, like how tilt or, or negative thinking could be affecting them. But, uh, you know, once, once you start thinking about it, uh, then you can, I guess, work on it. Yeah. Do you, do you draw on those personal experiences at all? Like as a, level of resilience you know I, i've been through what you've been through and you know this is just a poker tournament and it's just a bad beat or whatever is is that part of does that give you strength um no i mean i mean maybe it does but it's not something like i've ever thought about like i'm resilient because this happened to me or that happened to me or uh like maybe i am but it, it's never something i've like ever thought about like in the game or in the moment yeah So just another kind of weird question. You said that uh, you use a cane a lot now. Is it is it are some venues better that you prefer in terms of having more space? I would just think that would be difficult navigating the tables in a tournament room and also even the casino itself. Is is that an adjustment or, or yeah? Something uh, different? Yeah, some places are are harder than others. Uh, Obviously, going out to Las Vegas is like uh, even an able-bodied person. Uh, it's probably a ton of walking and and gets tiring. Uh, it's like when I was out there in June, uh, I really just wore myself out. Uh, and so when I went out there in July, I decided to rent a scooter, and uh, that was kind of a lifesaver for me. Because uh, when I when I was out there earlier in the summer, I found myself like constantly either stressed out or like agitated by like the amount of walking I had to do or was going to have to do uh, to get from point A to point B. Anyone that's been out to Paris and, and Horseshoe and how they got the two different convention centers. And, and so I'd been out there a couple of days uh, and I'd played other events, uh, the GCP event at MGM. And then, uh, then I, after that weekend, I went over to, horseshoe to play my first WSOP event for the summer and uh 
And so I, I actually walked from MGM to the monorail, which from the poker room at MGM to the monorail is a good little hike. Then once I got on the monorail, it left me off at Horseshoe in the underground area. So to get from there to the Paris ballroom is, is a whole nother hike. And, uh, and then I get to the Paris ballroom and I buy in and the ticket they give me is for uh, the horseshoe ballroom. And so I ask them like if they could accommodate me and, and switch it. And they tell me there's no way they can't do it. And so I'm like, geez. And so then I hike all the way over to the horseshoe ballroom and not only is it the horseshoe ballroom, it's in the gold section, which is at the very back uh, near the TV area. Uh, so it's the furthest, furthest I could possibly have to walk. And so I get there and I sit down and I'm not even kidding. The very first hand. And so I'm late, Regin. So we're, I'm probably like 30 big blinds or something like that. And the very first hand, I get ace king. And... And I open and this guy three bets me. And so I go ahead and go all in. And he calls me with king, queen and spikes a queen on the flop. And I'm out. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, then I walk back over to the registration area within uh, within the horseshoe. And I register and they print my ticket and it's for prayers. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. So like, yeah. Uh, so anyway, that... Uh, that after that, I said, I'm gonna rent a scooter whenever I go to Vegas from now on. <laughs> but uh, but I, I do all right in in most places. Pearl River's not too bad. Uh, if I get a certain room, I could come right down the elevator and uh, in the Magnolia room where the tournaments are is right there on my right, and the uh, cash game room is not too far to the left. Uh, and I have been to other venues where it's more walking than others. And, uh, you know, I just try to make the best of it. And, you know, I don't, I don't mind doing some, uh, cause I, I like the exercise and I want to stretch my legs and keep them moving and keep them active. Uh, it, it's just so far really going out to Las Vegas has probably been the only thing that's been too challenging. And, and I, I did it last summer, and it didn't bother me too bit much, but I think uh, I'm still a little bit weaker from the broken leg. So that, that probably played a part in it as well. Gene or Ben, do you guys have any other questions for Alan? Uh, I'm good. Ben? Uh, yeah, I guess the last question I have would be what the, you know, what the plan is, uh, you know, for the year ahead and if you are aiming to play the main next summer or not, or, or what the, what the future holds for you. Uh, so I don't, I don't plan my schedule too far in advance. I usually might look one month ahead and, uh, and find me a, a series each month to get to. Um, so next I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do the Cachata and, uh, Poker Gras and, uh, uh, the million Philly in October. So that, that'll get me from now through October. Uh, I'm going to play a hundred K in Tunica this weekend. It's just a in-house uh, single event. Uh, so go, going back there, to, uh, I'm going to visit my mom and daughter. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And uh, as far as the main event goes, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to play again. Uh Bill, do I, do I get to go again? Is the minion from the last one standing? Is that how that works? Or 
That's typically the way it works. Um, as long as so there's it, a minions, it, you, yeah, you should be the last minion standing and and get the seat for the the subsequent year. So okay. So um, yeah, if that, if that's uh, available, I'll certainly do that. And um, otherwise, uh, unless something comes up, yeah, I'm, I'm. If that doesn't happen, I'll still find some way to play it. Uh, yeah, so. that that rule is kind of interesting in that it's. Um, it's kind of a rule, kind of kind of not an official rule, but I think it's happened every time. So yeah, yeah. you should have the main event seat. It's as long as there's the minions next year. Um so well, I mean that's I not I'll, up to me. What whatever they do is is fine. I'm not I won't be uh, feel slighted or anything if that doesn't happen. But if it does, that's great too. So Yeah. I mean, you're certainly deserving and and you know that, that Queen doesn't come on the turns and uh, you know, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I think we can. De yeah, because uh, I think I started that hand with about 30, 35 bigs. So I, I think if I get a 70 big line stack there, uh, I think I can cash. probably cash. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but that's how it goes sometimes. So. I would say if it's about 95% going to happen again next year, Bill, right? I mean, I can't see it not Well, I mean, I think it is going to happen. I've just seen. It just it's up to monkey really you know it's kind of his baby um so uh i i read his latest blog post and it seemed like you know he maybe was a little down about our team the minion send cash this year so um <clears throat> we'll have to see it's a lot of work for him and i know there's he's got a lot of tax headaches that specifically the minions creates for him so um hopefully he can overcome those and, and have it back because it to me i've said this many times is one of my favorite things in poker in that you've given a lot of different players an opportunity to go play the main event have that ultimate experience people get to cheer them on from the sidelines and you know i i i love it and i'm willing to help monkey to do whatever is necessary to keep it going but um you know so yeah 95 percent is probably a good number 90 percent well, Alec, um, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, good luck out there. Uh, we will see you at the um, was it Kashana the next stop. And uh, take care, bud. All right, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks for everything y'all do, and uh, I, I enjoy your events. Uh, enjoyed being on today, and I, I appreciate you guys.